Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange ride. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Jen. And I'm Eli. Eli's back. Baby, come back. Any kind of fool could see. You were gone. Quite a long time. <laughs> it be. <laughs> and you come back with holes, but you're still pretty. <laughs> she did that one. <laughs> I don't know this song. That's because we're writing it Surprise. as we go. Huh? Yeah. Oh. So. Well, aren't well, y'all just a clever bunch? <laughs> welcome back, Eli. You have Thank been you. missed. I appreciate it. Thank you for welcoming me back because I've needed to be here the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week we are going to be going on an alien adventure. We haven't had aliens in a while. Reptilians. No reptilians here. What? Actually, I don't need to get any description of the aliens in this one. Really? But the story itself is really freaking cool. In my head, I immediately go, we gotta prove it all. So grab your styrofoam helmets. <laughs> Nobody brought their styrofoam helmets. <sighs> It helps you float before you want to argue, okay? If we ever go to a con, we have to like make some styrofoam helmets and like put some warehouse stickles or stickles. Stickles? Stickles on the slide. I like my warehouse stickles. <laughs> oh, I like stickles. They're so cute. <laughs> All right. This week, we're going to dig into an alien encounter. This story comes to us from Inside UFOs. True accounts of contact with extraterrestrials. By Preston Dennett. Now, I stumbled upon this book one day when I was looking for something to listen to while I was at work. I had a few Audible credits sitting on my account, so I soon found myself being pulled into some amazing stories in this book. I'm sure I will revisit other stories later on down the road, but if you want to get ahead of the podcast and like to listen to or read about people's extraterrestrial encounters then I'd say give it a go. Thanks for your permission. Yes, you have it. Um, I chose this particular story to cover first, not because how astonishing it was or unique, but because of the message the aliens seemed to pass on to the man they contacted. I felt like it was something that a lot of people need to hear, and maybe it will change the mindset of many of us. Or maybe not, but I thought it needed to be shared. So... Let us dig in. In 1960, Jim Kubelback 
was 21 and had just joined the Navy. He was assigned aboard the USS Valley Forge as an aviation electronics technician. He was a member of an anti-submarine squadron, and it was their job to find and track any unidentified submarines. Jim says of his training... In the course of our training, we were constantly tested on our ability to quickly recognize types and purposes of all flying aircraft that might be encountered on the high seas or near foreign shores. For what it's worth, many of us prided ourselves on the expertise we had developed. Jim was aboard the ship for about a year. It was an exciting time, but the most memorable event of his year on the ship didn't come from some unidentified submarine, but it came from the sky. While the ship was on a return voyage to the United States from the Mediterranean Sea, the ship cruised directly through the infamous Bermuda Triangle. Oh, no. Unbeknownst to Jim. The event that would change his life forever began while Jim was on the flight deck one evening enjoying a smoke in the view. He had been on the deck for about 10 minutes when he noticed a group of strange-looking bright lights in the distance on the, off the starboard bow. Not being a boat person, I had to look this up. Starboard bow, starboard bow, definition is the starboard surface of the ship hull that curves inwards to the stem, distinguishing it from port bow. Still, finding that no help, uh, the land lover that I am, I looked at a picture. Uh, it's the right side <laughs> of the boat if you're looking towards the front of the boat. I love how they tried <laughs> to make it sound so complicated. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, it's the right-hand side of the boat if you were looking towards the front of the boat. From on the boat. Okay, so right-hand side. Uh, that's good enough for me. So if he's traveling to the U.S. from the Mediterranean, it's in the northeasternish sky. So now that we're oriented with the boat, let's continue with the story. There are four or five lights bunched together randomly, seemingly on the horizon. They were reddish-orange and pulsated, both in size and brightness. Jim made a few instant assessments of the objects. First, they appeared to be about 30 miles distant, as they were very near the horizon line. And if he was estimating distance correctly, then the size of these objects would be a few hundred feet in diameter. He also concluded that the objects were airborne because they appeared in different elevations from each other. Immediately, Jim knew they were not normal lights. Jim said, They were the strangest lights that I've ever seen in my life. The best way that I can describe them is that the lights themselves seem to be a pulsating, breathing, living thing. They increased in brightness from low to a dazzling bright level. I watched them for some time trying to analyze what they could be. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Jim sounds a bit like horse. <laughs> Kind of like Loris Horace. Like a had, horse? No, like Horace. <laughs> it's like Horace had like a cough drop or a throat lodge in it. That's Jim. Oh. <laughs> the Bigfoot horse. Yes. <laughs> After watching the lights for about 15 minutes, Jim remembered he had purchased two pairs of brand new binoculars, which remained unopened in the locker in his squadron's electrical, electronic shop room. He dashed down below deck to get them. While he was below deck getting the binoculars, his shipmates began to joke with him. Most of them had bought packages and later discovered they'd been ripped off by the merchant when the merchandise was replaced with rocks. Those bastards. 
You better open those up, they laughed. You probably bought some rocks. Jim opened his package and pulled out two pairs of brand new 7x50 binoculars. Has anyone seen the strange lights off the starboard bow? He asked his shipmates. Nobody had. He held up his binoculars and told them, Come come on up topside. You've got to take a look at this. About four or five of his fellow shipmates followed him back up to the flight deck. When they got there, the weird lights were still there. The men shared the binoculars and gazed at the lights. Most of them were speechless. A few muttered, What, what, what the hell are they? What, what is going on? <laughs> Jim said, We looked at them, and we just couldn't believe what we were seeing. We couldn't. There was no way of telling what they were, but they were absolutely huge. With the binoculars, Jim could make out more detail, but what he saw only raised more questions. He was able to tell that they were closer than the horizon line, which put them at less than 32 miles. Their exact size remained undetermined due to the lack of a reference point. Jim was more puzzled by the weird lights themselves. He said, They were huge. They pulsated and glowed slightly when not changing color. The colors started in the center and flowed outside in the stages. They moved in relation to one another, were controlled, and appeared globe-like. There were no reflections on the water. They were very bright, but did not illuminate the ship or area where we were standing. There were no shadows behind us. We had plenty of time to observe them, but all we could do is speculate and guess at what they might be. Jim and the others wondered if the officers on the bridge were also seeing these objects. Jim thought they had to be aware of them. The rule was that no one was authorized to call the bridge unless there was an emergency, but Jim made the decision that these lights were worth a call. He told the guys to wait while he went back down to the sh- or he went back to the shop to call the bridge. When the bridge watch officer answered the phone, Jim asked, "Is there something going on? What's off the starboard side of the ship?" "I don't know what you're talking about," the officer replied. "So you see those lights off the starboard side?" I have not seen anything unusual. Jim knew that there was no way that this was the truth. And with irritation mounting, he asked, Let me speak to someone else on the bridge. I'm here alone. The officer hesitated. This was a lie. The bridge never only had one person. It was impossible. He then knew the bridge crew was giving him the runaround. He hung up the phone and went back to the flight deck. The lights were still there. By this time, the men were starting to notice... Other strange effects, Jim said. They were unlike any lights I have ever seen before or since. When one looked away from them, just a short angle, it seemed they could not be seen out of the side of one's eyes despite their brightness. There seemed to be no peripheral vision reception on our part. They could only be seen when looking directly at them. At this point, no one had mentioned UFO, but there was something definitely strange about these lights. Jim decided that he and his shipmates deserved better answers, so he decided to go back and call the bridge. This time, when he talked to the wa- not, uh, when he talked to the watch officer, he gave his name, rank, service number, and squadron commander's name. He then mentioned the lights again and asked, "Are you seeing what I'm seeing?" The officer replied, "Look, we're damn busy up here. We can't talk to you right now. We'll get back to you." 
Jim hung up and ran back up to deck. By now, the crowd had grown to at least 10 men. Everyone was just staring at the lights, including four of Jim's closest friends aboard the ship. At this time, the ship made an abrupt 90-degree turn to port. This was highly unusual and was clearly connected to whatever was happening. The maneuver put the lights directly behind the ship. At this point, the lights disappeared, Jim said. Suddenly, the lights randomly and slowly pulsed out, and they were gone. No burst of speed, no fiery trail, no blinding flash. They just silently disappeared. So everyone is just baffled. We couldn't believe it. We're looking at each other like, what in the hell is this? We were taught to identify aircraft and that kind of stuff, but these were not aircraft. There was little talk about the event. They all just returned below deck to their respective stations. That night, Jim laid awake in his bunk thinking about what he had witnessed. And if there was any meaning to it. It was a long time before he was able to finally fall asleep. The next morning, it was again the first thing he thought about. He went up and got some breakfast and then obtained the Valley Forge daily news sheet which was printed each morning. He was sure that there would be something in it that might explain what they'd seen the night before. Jim said, To my surprise, it was not even mentioned. I had to fly that morning for about two hours, and all I could think about was for the first time in my life, I had no explanation for something I had witnessed. I also felt that there was something else that I just couldn't seem to put my finger on. And it just wouldn't come to me. Jim decided to call the bridge a third time to see if he could get any information. Jim explained to the bridge officer that he had called the night before about the unusual lights off the starboard ship's, starboard side of the ship and gave the time of his call. The officer on duty replied, We've had no record of your call, and there have been no unusual observations or entries in the log. May I have the name of the officer who was on watch duty? Is there a chance I can talk to him? Well, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you. When can I call you back? Uh, Call me back in a few minutes. After a few minutes, Jim was again back on the phone with the bridge. He again explained his request to speak to the officer who was on duty the night before and asked if he could have have the location of the officer. Uh, He's been transferred. He's off the ship. He flew off this morning on a mail plane. Jim asked the reason for the officer's transfer. He's going on leave for two weeks. He will not be returning to the ship. Jim Jim hung up the phone in disbelief. Nobody, but nobody, is flown off an aircraft carrier at sea for the purpose of going on leave. I am the captain now. (laughs) (laughs) Go home. (laughs) He returned to the shop room frustrated. He seemed to be the only person concerned about what had happened the night before. No one else was even talking about it. Then something that Jim still has trouble even explaining, he swung open his locker to retrieve something. At this point, his crewmates, the same ones who had observed the lights with the binoculars just the night before, saw the open box that he had con- or that had contained the binoculars, and they said, <laughs> Look, Kubelbeck couldn't stand it. He just had to find out if he bought rocks. What? You couldn't stand it. 
You knew goddamn well there was rocks. There was a rock in the box. Just couldn't stand it, could you? What the hell are you guys talking about? You were using them last night on the flight deck. What the hell are you talking about? The men looked at him confused. At this point, Jim got a shock. (laughs) 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 Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) He asked them about the lights, and nobody seemed to remember. Of the ten men who had been there, only two had recollection whatsoever of the event. Everyone else seemed to have had it completely erased from the memory. Now, the fact that there was two kind of solidifies the fact that it happened. Yeah. I mean... Either that or they were just point. fucking with them. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jim said... It annoys the hell out of me to this day. Some of the guys did not remember watching these objects with my binoculars. They were not lying. They did not remember. These were some of the same individuals who had used the binoculars the night before in an attempt to identify what we had seen. To this day, I'm convinced that they had lost their recollection of the events of the previous evening. It was as if it was blocked out of their memory. And to this day, that just baffles the hell out of me. Jim found two friends that did remember the lights. All three of them were mystified why the other crew members couldn't or didn't remember anything. Jim thought about the experience all day. Something was still bothering me, but I didn't know what it was. As far as the lights were concerned, I concluded that even if I never was to discover what they were, it was still an experience I was glad to have had. At least no one could take that away from me. Still, there was something in the back of my mind that I couldn't put my finger on. After completing his duties that day, Jim had some free time before going to bed. He decided to go to the flight deck and see if there would be a repeat of the lights again. However, the lights did not return. Disappointed, Jim returned to his bunk and had decided that he would be okay without having any explanation for the events. At least he would have a wild story to tell his parents when he returned home. Then right before he fell asleep, Jim had a flashback to the night before. Just as I was dozing off, I jumped awake. I was suddenly aware of what had been bothering me all those last hours. It was my dream of the night before. I got up, got a pen and paper, and started to write everything I could remember. It had all been so real. And when it came back, it was so vivid that I remembered every detail and every word. The dream was unlike any dream he'd had before. He speculates that the ETs were trying to make contact and decided that to, decided to do it through the dream state. Or perhaps it was a memory of an actual encounter. Here's what Jim wrote down word for word. The dream started by finding myself sitting with a group of older men, civilians, being asked what qualifications I, I had that allowed me to be there. I remember thinking that I had better pull a good bluff because if I didn't, They would dismiss me, and from the formulas on the blackboard, I knew that the discussion about to start was one I didn't want to miss. I felt like a spy. I quickly said that my greatest qualifications were that I think and dream about things that have not been dreamed of. If they had no room for that type of thinking, I said, I would be glad to leave. 
I held my breath, feeling that I had been discovered, but I was told to stay. I sat down. I felt good. At least sitting down, they couldn't see my knees knocking. I had pulled it off. Now maybe I would find out what was going to be discussed before they discovered an imposter in their midst. I knew that either way, no matter what happened, I'd have one hell of a good story to tell sometime to a couple of guys in the squadron over a few beers. Only then did I realize that those men were actually civilians. Suddenly I wondered how I got there. Before I could stand up and leave, someone said, Can you elaborate, Mr. Quibblebeck? Elaborate, I thought. I didn't even know what I'm doing here, and they want me to elaborate? I was trapped. And they even knew my name. I remembered a discussion I had recently had with crew members, so I started to repeat it. I began. If it had not been for the discovery of the gasoline and the invention of the internal combustion engine, would the world be much different than it is today? We would not have automobiles or locomotives or other craft or other powered craft. We most certainly would, because all inventions have been generated by need. The need existed to improve upon animal-drawn carts, and man has been endowed with the ability to improve upon anything. The steam engine was just one step up, as was the gasoline engine, diesel engine, reciprocating aircraft engine, jet engine, electric motor, and so on. If none of these portable types of power sources had been discovered or invented, other sources of power would have been. Invention is the result of need. These other possible power sources might have been far superior to anything that has been invented. But man is slow to evolve, and instead of searching for superior discoveries, he strives to improve upon only what his fellow man has invented. Rather than dream, he accepts what already exists. If only man were taught to think for himself and learn to dream... His dreams could become reality. What man is capable of envisioning, even in abstract ways, can become concrete reality. Man is only limited by his own self-imposed limitations. This was me speaking, one of the group said. But you are also limiting yourself in many ways by the very laws you adhere to. Well, I replied, if you're talking about power sources, there are obvious limitations. There is nothing in nature that is free. Everything in life is a trade-off. In chemistry or electricity or anything else, everything is in balance or strives to be. Unless it's a gift. They countered. Like what? I asked. Like a stream that turns into a water wheel. They said. Much more energy expanded by the water than can be recovered by the work of the water wheel. But it doesn't matter because... There is more available for free. So I said, if there were floating streams everywhere, we'd have no problems. But such is not the case. They said I was contradicting myself already. I had just said that if other power sources had not been invented, then others would have been found. You have momentum. There is the sun, magnetism, centrifugal force... There are endless numbers of forces. Do not limit yourself by the, what you have been told. 
Such limitations are negative in nature. If you think something will work, it will work. I replied, if that were true, then all things are possible. But to change man's concepts of limitations would take thousands of years. Many of the people I've met can hardly handle intelligent discussion, and now you say they have to change their thinking? You can do your part. Everyone can change the world in some way. Everything affecting everything. Remember that. So it's a slow process. It makes a difference. Five minutes is 5,000 years. So I should invent a power source and change man's thinking? Ha! If you desire it, you can do it. What you have to do, you will do. You will have other priorities for a time, but you will know when the time is right. The other limitations mankind has, what he has created in his mind. They continued. His negative limitations and restrictions have been created by his own thought process. There are some acceptable trade-offs. Gifts from God are boundless and limitless, never-ending. They can be used as power sources to generate whatever energy sources man desires or needs in any stage of evolution. The very problems you are talking about can be eliminated. The very concepts you desire, you can achieve. Any concept you can visualize can also be non-visualized. Solve the problem as they arise. If man changes his concept of limitations, there will be no limitations. It's that simple. Suddenly I remembered once again that these people were civilians and that I was in the Navy. I was in civilian clothes and I wondered where I was and how I was going to get back to the squadron. I felt as if I was about to be discovered when one of the speakers opened a door and said, Look this over before you leave. Without remembering getting up, I found myself immediately in the adjoining rooms with two men, in white coats no less, standing next to a prototype of a vaguely familiar experimental engine and motor. I suddenly remembered that in the dream I had had previously, I had discussed the concept of an invention. It also occurred to me that for some reason... I had never remembered it upon awakening. Anyway, this invention was sitting there on the floor, but it's not connected to anything, I protested. All you need is the concept. I was told. You will do the rest. You mention friction, inertia, and momentum as problems, when in reality, they may be assets. If man would use these forces to his advantage, he could invent a power source of which you speak. We also know that you once entertained the thought that everything that exists be a concrete manifestation of creative thought. God has given all creation to mankind. Everything man needs is at his disposal, if only he seeks to use it. And that was all that Jim was able to remember about his dream. The ideas in the dream intrigued him, however. However, life on the ship was busy, and he was soon back to his old ways. The next few months passed quickly, and before he knew it, it was time for him to dis be discharged from the Navy and set sent home. Before leaving, he and his friends were talking about the lights, and one of his friends pulled him aside and said, 
I will never forget those lights. But you know, I sure had some weird dreams for a few nights after that. Once he returned home, the desire to tell his parents the story of the lights disappeared. He had decided he needed to keep he needed to keep that to himself. Years passed and Jim moved to Minnesota, found a job and a wife. They married and had kids. And from time to time, when he would relax and look at the night sky, he would think back to that night on the ship and the lights and the incredible dream he had had. He often wondered if it was possible to build such a device. The people in his dream sure thought that he could. One day, he decided he couldn't keep his secret any longer. He told his wife and children the whole story about the lights and the cover-up on the bridge, how some of his shipmates seemed to suffer from some kind of amnesia. He also told them about the vivid dream. He was relieved when his family not only believed him, but encouraged him to pursue and follow the instructions that he had received. They encouraged him to draw a rough sketch of the device, and for the first time, Jim was seriously thinking about the project and the machine. It seemed relatively inexpensive and easy to make. There were a few, there were a few moving parts, but no piston motion, no fossil fuels. Nor would it create any noise or air pollution. He decided to go for it. I decided that at the very least I could try to find out if what I had been thinking about had any merit. Maybe then I would be satisfied and would be able to forget it. So I went out and purchased some parts and began my dream project. I felt like a mad scientist as I collected all my junk parts in my garage, being careful that no one saw me. Over a few months, using parts that could be found in any hardware store, Jim built the device that he had envisioned. Before long, the machine was complete. Some weeks later, I had the crudest, weirdest bicycle wheel you've ever seen, mounted on a board in my workshop. And damn it all, it was turning. My contact switches, acquired from an old pinball machine, left much to be desired. But still, the damn wheel turned. Click, 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 for days on end. My daughters were impressed. But what next? Much research. I had to gain RPM to thousands. Maybe it can be done. I am sure an electronics engineer would get one hell out of a laugh of what I had put together. Nevertheless, the concept is there. My concept seems plausible. If not in my lifetime, maybe someone else's. Maybe it can't work with the technology available today, but the concept so intrigues me that maybe, if what one can envision can indeed become reality, at some point in time, my sharing it with someone will someday have some benefit. For now, the invention has been put away. Today, Jim lives quietly with his wife. Although he didn't know it at the time, his UFO encounter had far-reaching consequences. He became more open-minded and spiritual. He also felt that the experience allowed him to tap into hidden abilities. For example, he is now self-employed as a water dowser and has successfully located more than 4,000 water sources for contractors and developers across Minnesota. He feels that the encounter made him more able to be able to do what he does. Jim only came forward with his story because he felt that it was important to have it recorded for posterity. He is not interested in trying to prove anything to anyone. He felt that the truth should be told, as and as he says... I just never shared it with anyone, because nobody wants to be ridiculed. But I know what I saw. The sighting of the lights and the dream happened just as I said it did. And that 
is the story of a Navy ship encounter. It's a pretty remarkable tale. It is. And like I said, I picked it for the whole discussion about man and limitations. Yeah. It's not too over the top where it's like 12 foot reptilian aliens were dragging me down a hallway <laughs> and, and their nuts are dragging you on the ground and, and doing unspeakable things yeah. to my hole in my face. Yeah. Bottom half. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was it was kind of a enlightening story and like a positive story. Yeah. And I liked that. And in that book, actually, most of those most of the aliens are malevolent. There's only a few that have any kind of malicious intent to them in the book. Um, but what I found interesting was the fact that man limitates, mayor puts limitations on himself. And Dave and I were talking about that, and it's like, that's exactly what we do. That's why magic works. When you're able to let go of the limitations that you've set for yourself, you can do just about anything. And I don't know, I just thought it was very empowering in that. And I thought it was important for people to hear it. So I was like, I have to share this one. Because I was going to do a whole different story. And then when I read that one, I was like, all right, got to do this one. Can I say something? I felt like a preacher during that long, long game. Well, you were an alien. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I mean, you got the one eye. To... Yeah. Oh, the new name is uh, Cyclops. The one-eyed gangbang. Sorry, the one-eyed <laughs> not gangbang. The one-eyed gang gang. <laughs> He's the one-eyed gangbang. <laughs> Leave it to the big brother by a month to just let it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to call you the one-eyed gangbang. <laughs> I'm not either. Okay. The one-eyed nice, nice eye guy? No, I'm just going to call you Eli. Aww. But what do y'all think of that story? I loved it. It's really good. Now, I'd, I will be, I guess, the skeptic. I've had dreams where... There's something built, or there's plans for something, or something like that, and it has just there's nothing. It's just an odd dream of mixture of stuff going on in my life and all that stuff. And I'm sure being an electrician, like IT guy for the Navy, I'm sure he's been looking at plans on how to oh, yeah. fix things all the time. And I'm sure it's just kind of a mixture of everything. But at the same time, at least the, the what was being said to him or whatever is kind of like a pushing him to do better. Like, yeah. you know, don't let me. And I definitely and had those same thoughts. In fact, when I was listening to it, when he got to that point, he was talking about, you know, how it just came to him, what he was talking about with his crewmates and all, all yeah. that. It reminded me of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion where she has the dream that she knows the formula to the glue on post-its because that was, they used the whole like, we invented post-its. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back in our dreams episode, we went over this. Many famous inventions were allegedly prompted by a dream. For example, the Scottish engineer, inventor of the steam engine, James Watts, dreamed of molten metal falling from the sky in the shape of balls. <laughs> and this dream gave him the idea for drop cooling and ball bearings. The model of the atom the M9 analog computer, the isolation of insulin and the treatment of diabetes, and the sewing machine were also ideas that sprung from the inspiration in dreams. What's not to say that other dimensional or worldly entities don't communicate those things to us through our dreams to help us along? Inception? 
I mean, totally. I mean, I've I've also had dreams where I solve problems that I deal with in my day-to-day life. I mean... I normally just create problems in my dreams. I do that, too, but sometimes I do solve real-life problems. Oh, yeah, brother! <laughs> so, like, the... <laughs> <laughs> I've been gone way too long. <laughs> and I'll never live it down. Uh, the one thing I, I can say is that, like, I've had both um, situations of uh, dreams basically allowing me to see. And this is ov- obviously when I was way, way younger. Um, probably about half my age would, would be like there around the last time that it probably happened. But it was a situation of being able to see certain events before it happened so everything else was more like a wait this has already happened whenever it did happen in an actual time frame um so much so that like you could actually guess exactly what the hell people were about to say deja vu deja vu um and also frights as well man frights uh same situation they kind of reset stuff in in my brain but there's multiple situations where car wrecks um Car wrecks, and then uh, my friend, uh, when I was in, just graduated, had lost his leg on a motorcycle accident, and that was literally a dream I had the night before. Yeah. So it was it was kind of a weird situation because it does it does happen. Yeah. Now I think this can go into the greater conversation of. Sorry to break this to everybody, but we're going to run out of fossil fuels in the future. Yeah, we are. Probably not in our lifetime, but three, four hundred years from now, they're gonna be gone. Yeah. So, I'm like super gunning for 2025, guys. When the aliens come. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's think of it this way: if anything, <clears throat> it made him think outside the box. Yeah. And that's what we need: is we need people who think outside the box. And like you said, all mankind does anymore is. Invent things to help things that have already been invented. They don't dream bigger. It's it's most relevant. It's most relevant in TV anymore. I mean, they don't come up with new movies or new ideas. They're just remaking everything that's already been made. Same thing with engines. Yeah, and just putting a different spin on it and everything. Mortal Kombat. (laughs) It's a good movie, Chad. I'm just saying. They remade it. But I mean, at the same time, like his, he was saying, he does water dowsing now. Well, he doesn't do water. He does water dowsing the old-fashioned way. He, I mean, you, well, I guess he uses dowsing rods, I think, instead of a stick like they used to. But he, that's how he finds wells. And Yep, tried and true method. Yeah, he doesn't use all the technology they use now. The, the what, ground sonar and drilling and, I mean, he finds the spot and says, here. Um, which on its own is kind of conserving, he's conserving energy. He's mm-hmm. helping the environment. And like, I liked the fact that they said that it, it's a slow prog- process and it could take 50 to 5,000 years. It, I mean, but if everybody does one little thing, it'll change mindsets. People look at things differently. Yeah. um, Changes on the micro scale have an effect on the macro scale. Exactly. Um, Margaret Mead. 
once said, I'll actually pull up the quote. Do or do not, there is no try. No, oh, no, not that one. To be or not to be, would you like the party? Never believe that a few caring people can't change the world. For indeed, that's all who ever have. Yep. Everybody wants, like the government, to put in all these laws and stipulations. Just look at what happened when they tried to make a mask mandate. How many people rebelled against that? Oh, yeah. We're out in the streets protesting that. Coughing well, on each other. Is, you, don't, you don't lead people by telling them what to do. You lead them by showing them what to do. Exactly. But even in that case, the macro can't really have an effect on the micro the way the micro can have an effect on the macro. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, when it comes to to things like that, if every single person does one thing, it'll make a bigger impact. Yeah. Than if nobody does anything. You know what I mean? But you know, conserving energy. If everybody makes sure that they turn off the lights in the room they're not using. But how are you supposed to see when you go into the room, Amy? You turn it on when you come in the room. <laughs> the switch is right by the door. Unless it's in my bedroom and then the switch is over by my bed. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just, just little things like that, you know? Sure. Not leaving a sprinkler running for hours at a time. You know, growing your own vegetables. Recycling. Reci- yeah, like just little yeah. things make a big difference. So... These little ideas that people have. Like, I, he didn't feel like he had the ability to make this any bigger, but somebody out there might know how, which is why he wanted to share the story. And it is another reason why I wanted to share the story. Maybe somebody out there has the ability to look at this and say, we can make this bigger. We can make this power a go-kart. We can, you know, something, you know, anything. Start small and work, work exactly. your way uh, power oh, a clock sure. first. Let's get it power in a clock. Once we power a clock, then we power a I mean, radio. To talk about like recycling and upcycling, I mean, you could take something like the alternator off of a broken down truck and use it to power a set of light bulbs in like a, a chicken hutch or, or a room or, or anything yeah. like that. So it just it just takes one person with a good idea. With just a little bit of, of wind power and, and a can do power. attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the ability to not accept limitations because we set the limitations. So if you don't set your limitations and anything is possible. Limitless. Well, think back to possibilities. like when we were talking about power of meditation, when we were talking about the um, Hindu stuff and how thinking, how, <laughs> how they have the ability to think something and make it happen. You know, it's kind of along those same lines. You take away the limits and you can do anything. But I really liked this. And I, of course, I love all our alien episodes. Like, I'm kind of like trapped in the alien world right now. But uh, I also brought an alien episode, uh, alien story last week. See? I'm just all about aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you guys enjoyed this story. And if you like us, follow us. All that fun stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UNP Normalcy. Don't forget to check out our website at UNPNormalcy.com. And we've got all our cool merchandise and all that jazz on there. Also, don't forget I brought a brother and sister podcast 
Lux Occult, Smuts Up, Ad Hoc History, Faith Blind Council, and Administrism. And of course, our friends at Grognostics. Groggy Boggy. Grognostics. Also, don't forget to follow the link in the description below to Box Parabox Monthly and get your monthly paranormal t-shirt. I pop it like they can see me popping it. I'm wearing the Paris Catacomb shirt today. Oh, we should cover that on an episode. Episode, episode, episode. Of unearthing paranormalcy. <laughs> but you use promo code paranormalcy at checkout and you get 10% off your order. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time. Keep digging. Digging, 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 digging. Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.